0: Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. We're talking about how quality uh, beats quantity every time. How you can make a thousand Krabby Patties, but if you rush it and they all suck, nobody wants them. Uh, even though SpongeBob's only has two pickles on one side, I think that's a little edgy, for in my opinion. But seemed like it was a good Krabby Patty. So, but today we're talking about slowing down. I even have my wonderful Avery got me this sloth mug, uh, which is sloths have been our our theme here. So I've been drinking. It's ironic that it mainly's filled with a stimulant, and it's 20 ounces. So I don't know if. This will actually help me slow down, physically or not, but uh, it's been pretty great. So, uh, but as we started this series, like the, the whole foundation of it is the fact that when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the world, the world is running uh, very fast. It is hurried. The way of Jesus is, is not always slow, but it is never hurried, never in a rush. And uh, love is almost always at a slower speed than hurry. And you know this like with friends, with your life, with relationships. Um, and so what we have just tried to sit in the last few weeks and the next few weeks is just how do we honor the way of Jesus at the pace that he calls us to run to, and that he runs at. So the first week we talked about hurry and love are incompatible, and the next week we talked about what the two stories up here were about, which was Savor Day, or the Sabbath, um, and how it has four elements to it, and we do that every week. We take a day to rest, to worship, to delight, and to, he- and to see healing past, present, and future, and we sit in that every day, and that sets the pace for our lives, for our week. And then last week, we talked about the, the dangerous Western culture that surrounds himself with influence, fame, popularity, power, right? And how, like, you know, the word influencer wasn't even a word 10 years ago, but is now a job, apparently. <laughs> uh, if you're 14, you're like, I want to go and be an influencer, right? But that's what the world pursues, and how the way of Jesus is very contrary to that, how he specifically did things that would push against that. And one of the main ways that he did that was through serving. And so we embody the same things that Jesus does as serving. He came not to be served, but to serve as a life uh, for people. And so we did the same thing. And so today we're talking about this idea of how the way of Jesus is almost always about uh, quality over quantity. And specifically what we're going to hone in on is the aspect that we would call discipleship or apprenticeship. They're really like the same, same word. Uh, apprenticeship is the new trendy word, discipleship is a more older word, but really what it means is a relationship that is intentionally moving you towards Christ. And we know that relationships are the forefront of the gospel. I mean, if you think about the idea of the Bible, last week I talked about how serving is probably like the number one characteristic and action of people who follow Jesus. That is the heart of Jesus, is to serve. That's what he did on his last night here, washed the disciples' feet, said, this is like who I am, right? But... When we think about it even deeper, the, the, the absolute bare bones of the, of the foundation of the gospel is relationship. That's the whole point of the Bible. It like, starts off good. Two pages later, humans have an opportunity to ruin it, and we do. And then the whole rest of the Bible is about a loving, gracious, uh, compassionate God trying to uh, be in right relationship with people who continually screw it up. And that's where we're at today. Fortunately, we have Jesus who makes that relationship right. But what we look at in the Bible and what we should honor in our lives as a part of our vision for our lives, as a part of spiritual maturity, is we should knock relationships out of the park. Like, we should just be the absolute best people in the world, their relationships. And so if I ask you, like, how's your relationship with your family? How's your relationship with your friends? How's your relationship with your spouse or your, your boyfriend or girlfriend or your kids? And you answer, ugh, to any of those, that's a massive implication on your understanding of living out the gospel. Because the gospel is all about relationships. If we take it at ground level, we have a relationship with Jesus, uh, and and we, we abide in that. And then we have relationships, like I said, maybe you're married and you have kids, and so those are two really, really important relationships. Maybe you're not married, don't have kids, but you have a family, a nuclear family, maybe you have an extended family, maybe you have really good friends, relationships, maybe you even have a co-worker or two, or a gym friend, right? Like, you have these meaningful relationships, and at the end of the day, that is the most important thing in our lives. If we were to think about our legacy, and, you know, I don't do this a ton. I don't just sit around thinking, I wonder what people will say at my funeral. But that's, your funeral is just relationships talking about your relationship. That's what it is. People get up there, and they say, oh, so-and-so was such a hoot. Let me tell you this story about how we did this illegal thing and didn't get caught. Or, oh, so-and-so was so kind. They did this meaningful thing, right, at the hardest time of my life. That is what, a, like, that's what we remember, and that's what is passed on, is the way that you handled your relationships. That's why Jesus' last night with the disciples, he not only serves them, but his teaching, his final teaching is all about unity and relationships. It's Lord, he's praying to the God the Father, would you unite people who follow me and believe in my name? Would you unite them in a unity that, that shows the world? This is what right relationship looks like. So today we're going to talk about that. Like I said, we're going to talk about it through discipleship and apprenticeship. But before we get into that, I wanted to point out a really cool um, idea of the compounding effect of relationships. I, I mentioned a little bit about like the funeral legacy thing. Um, but about 150 years ago, uh, there was uh, a guy named A.E. Winship who decided to trace the descendants of a very notable figure by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Maybe you've heard of him, sparked a revival in the 1700s. Uh, th- this is his like resume. Uh, he was obviously one of the most respected preachers of the day, but he attended Yale at the age of 13. He later went on to become the president of Princeton College. And then he got married in 1727 and had 11 children. That's right, they didn't have 15 passenger vans back then. So I don't even, they probably had to have a convoy to travel anywhere. And every night, as if that wasn't like, okay, great, he's crushing it, right? Every night he would spend an hour conversing with his family and then praying a blessing over each child. I'm like, this guy's just come on. Like, you didn't want to be friends with this guy. He's just too good. He made you look terrible. Imagine if you went over, and like, one second, I need to pray a blessing over all of my 11 kids. You'd just be like, this guy is amazing, and I don't feel like a good dad right now. But he was great, phenomenal. A lot of the guys who were great preachers were were terrible husbands and fathers, because they neglected that ministry to focus on a bigger ministry. But Jonathan Edwards had it down. And so what happened was A.E. Winship decided, I want to trace this guy's legacy. And so he traced... Uh, the next 150 years of his 11 children down on. And this is the resume of people in his legacy and what they did. They had one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen or pastors, and 285 college graduates. From one man and his wife, who was probably a saint as well, and their 11 kids, this is the legacy that they left. What's even more fascinating is you parallel that with another guy by the name of Max Jukes, who went the opposite route. Max Jukes was found out because there was 42 different men in the prison system that all had been associated with this guy through descendants, and like, let's figure out this guy. So they figure out this guy's legacy, and this was his. He had seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 impoverished and poor, 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol, and of the 1,200 total descendants, 300 of them died prematurely. I don't know about you, but that is a massive difference of legacy based on one person. And uh, it's, it's this massive contrasting difference And so what they had affirmed in this study, which wasn't really the intent, but they agreed with what we call the five-generation rule, which is if a parent raises their child in a certain way, the love they give, the values they teach, the emotional environment they offer, the education they provide, it influences not only their children, but four generations to come. So relationships do matter. They are of utmost importance in terms of our ability in a society with other humans to flourish and to honor and to love God. And so as we see Max Jukes and Jonathan Edwards, uh, for me, what this does for us as a church is it encourages me. Obviously, Jonathan Edwards, brilliant guy, right? I don't know if any of you have been to Yale at 13, but it doesn't mean that just because you're not him doesn't mean that God is still not planting a legacy in your life, in what you do and who you are. We all can't be the exact same person, right? Not everybody can be up here. Not everybody can do, you know, X, X job or Y job, right? We all have unique, specific places that God has put us. And, and legacy even, I hate counting this because it's like not about the numbers, right? It's not about the, the quantity, but the quality of even if I have one kid or if I have one friend or I have one coworker who I just plow my life into, right? I just build this relationship that I am being faithful to the kingdom and what I'm called to as I follow Jesus. So today, well, here's what we're gonna do. I want to talk about this. I'm gonna. I think there's three takeaways that I hope you'll find. The first one is I think you'll feel a freedom lifted off you if you've ever felt the guilt or the pressure to like save the entire world or to grind in all of your relationships. Like, I gotta be at this running baby shower. I gotta be at this thing. I gotta do that thing. I gotta send this guy. I gotta send this text, and you're just like overwhelmed. You just feel like, oh my gosh, I am socially and relationally tapped out but I feel like I'm just giving and giving and giving. I think you're going to feel actually freedom from that, from the busyness of that, the hurry of that. The second thing I hope you'll you'll take away is you'll feel a deep heart-level conviction to apprentice or to disciple under Jesus. I think that you'll remind yourself that that is paramount to everything else. But the second component of that is that that will lead to a deep heart-level conviction to offer apprenticeship for others in your life, meaning that you don't just stop at apprenticing Jesus, but that you offer yourselves for others. That's the whole point of following Jesus. We follow Jesus as we allow others to follow us to see Jesus. That's Paul's model. That's our model. That's Jesus' model. And then the last thing is, I think all of this rub and tension will cause you to evaluate your own spiritual journey, your maturity, the vision for your life. And I believe it will place a simple but intentional journey of not only being led by Jesus, but leading others to Jesus' feet. And I also think you'll sleep better at night. You'll rest assured knowing that where you are at in this moment, in this day, in this week, in this year, is exactly where God has put you. And you're not failing. You're not being uh, a waste, right? You're not comparing yourself to others. You're like, God has put me here in this time and in this place for a specific reason. And I can focus on quality rather than, than the abundance of quantity and the worry and the worries of the world that is more and more and more. I can just focus on where God has placed me and rest in that. So we're going to dive in. You're welcome to get out your Bibles if you have them. Uh, We're going to be all over the place, and it's just going to be a lot. So if you want to just take notes, write scripture references, that might be your best play today. Um, But we're going to basically go through six components of what I I see. There's a million. There's thousands of books on what is discipleship, what is apprenticeship. I want to focus on six components of apprenticeship, and I'm going to show each one through two sets of apprenticeship relationships. The first one is Jesus and his inner three and, and sometimes 12 disciples. The inner three were the three like closest of the 12 to Jesus. And then the other relationship is Paul, Apostle Paul, and the people that he, uh, that he had apprenticed him, primarily Timothy. So if you've read 1st and 2nd Timothy, you've read Ephesians, any of those books, Timothy is just all throughout that book in uh, a lot of different ways. And so what I want to start off with, though, is this foundation of Jesus picks 12 disciples, and then he has an inner three that we see. They get these specific glimpses of things that not everyone else gets to see. And in those glimpses, there's this deeper level of relationship and responsibility in his idea of apprenticeship. Paul is is, is sort of like, I have this mission, and I am always going to drag someone along with me. That's how Paul is. And so what we see in Acts 16, this is where we kind of start... Uh, Tim, uh, Paul comes to uh, a city uh, called Derbe in, in, uh, in Lystria, and then he meets a man, it says a disciple named Timothy who was there, and uh, whose mom was Jewish and dad was Greek, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and so he, he brings him along, they go to, throughout the towns, they pass on the decrees that had been decided on by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem, for the Gentile believers, the non-Jewish people, to obey. And it says, so the churches were being strengthened and in faith increasing in number every day. So Paul takes Timothy, but Paul also had Silas and Barnabas. And what I love is there's this like really um, uh, stark moment in Acts 16 later. And it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, who was one of his other guys, let's return and visit the brothers in every town where we proclaim the word of the Lord to see how they were doing. Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along with them too. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this one who had left them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in their work. So, next verse. They had a sharp disagreement. (laughs) I love that. I love that they're human and they fight. And they're like, I'm not bringing that guy. And you're like, I want to bring that guy. And you're like, cool. Good good luck. And so they literally, they, they part ways, which we see is like this happens in life. You've had this in churches. You've had this with friends. They part ways. And Barnabas took along John Mark and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and set out and went through some different cities. And then he meets Timothy. And so Paul is always having somebody doing the work of ministry with him. And he's always building into someone. I mean, that's his ministry is to go share the gospel with Jews and Gentiles alike and to bring someone alongside to train and equip them to do the very same thing. And this is what we'll see in apprenticeship. And so the first thing that we see... When we think about apprenticeship in the Bible, believe it or not, the first thing is that apprenticeship is incredibly mundane. <laughs> it is mundane. I don't know how else to say it. It is literally just traveling. I mean, so much of their ministry, if you did a documentary time by time of Jesus in his three years, literally 80% of it is like, All right, well, we're just going to walk to that city on this path, Right? We're just going to go to this place. Paul, we're going to go to this city, now to this city. We're going to travel to this city. You know, they didn't have cars. They weren't able to get places fast. It was just tons of time side-by-side walking. And that is the root of apprenticeship, if you believe it. It is mundane. It is not all just spiritual highs. It is not just going away in a retreat together. It is not just um, sitting and in this powerful moment or event. It is doing life, and a lot of life is just mundane. And, in, and, and we see it with Jesus. I love how there's, like, it, The Chosen does the story, you know, story about Jesus and his disciples, and a lot of it is them just walking and talking. And I appreciate about them. They're trying to still make it good and engaging, right, if they just showed them walking it would be boring. But the, there's so much teaching going on. We read these. I mean, the, the gospel accounts are the highlights of Jesus' ministry. It is the most engaging things. It doesn't just say, and then they walked for 12 hours, and they talked about all these things. That doesn't happen. But you know that Jesus is teaching and equipping them as they're going. One of the things that I loved about our apprenticeship cohort, our guys one that we started last year was we went off this backpacking trip that we do on Memorial Day weekend and now we're doing it again with the next group you know and doing it together but what I loved about it is um, the first year last year we went to a location to backpack five and a half hours away and it was kind of far I mean we were there for three and a half days we drove right after work on Thursday night and got there in the rain and everybody was asking me why we did this right. But at the end of the day, those five and a half hours are some of my favorite time, especially with guys. Guys don't always talk face-to-face. We're more side-by-side. And so when you're sitting in a car and you've got nothing to do and you've already listened to the Serial podcast, then you're just like, I guess we're going to talk about life. I guess we're going to talk about the things. And you, know, you start to ask good questions. As a youth pastor, we used to drive to camp we lived in Arizona. We drive to Colorado, and that's 10 hours. And we'd run a giant you know, charter bus, and they'd get to our church. They started our church at 9 p.m., and we'd drive through the whole way through the night. And I bet you're thinking, oh, I bet all those reasonable middle schoolers and high schoolers slept on the bus. No, they didn't. They stayed up the whole night. And what did we do? We sat beside people, and we talked for 9 or 10 hours to a middle school boy or a you know, high school girl or whatever. And you just talk about life. You know, we didn't have like what's you know like all these deep spiritual questions. We didn't like push people or probe. We just had mundane moments to build a relationship, and it, and that just takes time. That's why slowing down is so important, and that's why you can't do this with a million people because you don't have time to sit in a car with a million people, but you have a ton of time in the world to just travel and do life, and uh, maybe you're like, I drive to work, I can carpool. There you go. There's 30 minutes a day, so it's just simple things like this that they do. That's the first thing. The second thing is. Apprenticeship is trusting in the truth. And this has many layers to it. Um, For me personally, there's been times where I've just doubted my calling. I've doubted my, you know, I've been insecure. I've doubted, is God really like present in my life? Is he listening to my prayers? Does he really care? Am I really doing enough for God? And I have had to call up a mentor and them just speak what is true about me that I don't believe. You know, they they just sit you down and they say, look here. Let me tell you who you are as a child of God. Let me tell you who you are as a son. Let me tell you what God has given you and gifted you and blessed you with. Let me tell you that the sufferings and what you're learning. right? And just speaking that over me, that's one aspect. The other aspect of the truth is just trusting in it when it's really hard. right? Like When we apprentice with people, we are setting ourselves under the authority of the Bible. And the authority of the Bible is hard. And, and Jesus even says in John 14, his, his last night with the disciples, if anyone loves me, he will obey my words. My Father will love him and we will come, in, come to him and take up residence with him. He's, and then what he does is he brings out what we call well, the Holy Spirit. He brings in the Holy Spirit. I've spoken these things while staying with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will cause you to remember everything I've said to you. Apprenticeship is trusting in the truth. It's reminding ourselves what is the gospel, what do we believe about it, and having other people help them remind themselves of that. when when Life is just hard. Everybody has hard times. Everybody has hard seasons. It's trusting in having someone uh, entrust that with you. Paul even says in 2 Timothy 2 to Timothy, So you, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus and entrust what you have heard me say in the presence of many other people, Take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Jesus. He's saying, like, like there's going to be hardship. Let me remind you of this, but you know what we've taught, you know what we believe, you know what I've taught to you and to others. This is the truth that we we cling on to in the midst of hardship, in the midst of financial difficulty, in the midst of loss, in the midst of sickness. That that is an aspect of us is just trusting in the truth together. It's very hard to do it on your own. It's very hard. You know, you moved to another city. You don't know anyone. You got no family. You got no friends. It's very hard to follow Jesus on your own. It's almost impossible. It's almost like Jesus knew that. That's why he created the church and he said, this is my body. It's a part of me and and who I am. The next one, number three, is apprenticeship is emulating. Emulating is just kind of a fancy word for being like. And so Jesus, on his last night with the disciples, and he's teaching and all this, right, he does this radical act. He gets down, he washes their feet, and he says, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and I am. That's what I am. If then I am teacher and Lord and have washed your feet, you also are to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 1 John two six says, He says he abides in him, ought himself walk just as he walked. And then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, 11 to imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. This is... This is part of apprenticeship. Now, we get nervous about this because we think two things. One is, wow, I, my life is not worth emulating. I am a dumpster fire. Like, do not do what I'm doing because it's not working. Or two, we feel cocky about it. Like, it's weird to be like, hey, you should do what I'm doing. It works, right? It feels weird to say that. We even read when Paul says, imitate me like I imitate Christ. And we're like, wow, Paul, that's like kind of like pretentious of you to say that. But what, what does Paul also say? He also says, I will share and brag about my weaknesses because through my weaknesses, Christ's strength is proclaimed that i am a broken sinner i am that he says the worst of all sinners which is like i don't know about that but the worst of all sinners right he says but jesus right and then he gets to show the power of jesus apprenticeship is emulating but it doesn't mean you're perfect it doesn't mean that you don't have weaknesses it doesn't mean that you don't have flaws it just means that you know what to do about it meaning i know where my hope comes from i know where my insecurities are honestly it's just humility I'm not perfect, but I got these things. God's given me these gifts. Am I going to use them? Or am I going to be like, well, so-and-so has that, and I don't have that, so I guess I shouldn't do this. There are so many people in the American church who are not helping other apprentices or apprenticing others because they're just so insecure. They're like, well, I'm not good enough. I don't have an MDiv. I don't don't have enough time. I'm not smart enough. Or, you know, I have all these other things I'm wrestling with. And who is telling you that? The devil. Because you look at these people, and they are just ridiculous. Like, the people that Jesus choose to follow him, the strategy, it's, we'll get into it a little bit more, but it's, they're not amazing people. They are average broken people that have weaknesses and problems. But I love what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He reminds him of, of all of this, and he says, look, here's the things that you've emulated that I've, I've given you. He says, you, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, You must continue in the things that you have learned and are confident about, and you know who has taught you. You might not be a 10 out of 10 in every area, and that's okay. And I think that's actually probably normal. If we had the prerequisite of my mentor, my my who I'm apprenticing needs to be better at me at everything, we're gonna have a very hard time finding one. And then you'll die when you're older and be like, well, I just Lord, I don't know, I just couldn't find anyone. There's no, no, and he's like, why didn't you do it? Well, I wasn't good enough. I couldn't find, you know, it's like, are we really going to make that excuse? That's what we want to do. That's the card we want to play with God. And God's like, no, no, I've given you all these things. You're all broken. You all know that. But in your mess, you find hope in Jesus. And that is the primary focus for emulating. The fourth one is that apprenticeship is always missional. And what I mean by that is it always has a missional purpose. It is always reaching to others for the purpose and the sake of the gospel. That's, that's the goal. Is, that's why we call ourselves Christians, evangelical Christians. We believe in sharing the good news. We don't hold it in. We share it. That's the point of why we have a church plant in Grandview, is to share the good news. And I like to think about it like this. It's simple. You know, when I think about the word apprenticeship, I think of more of like a, a labor, like a craft. I think a lot about blacksmiths. I don't know why. It's just like I feel like that's a thing you apprentice, right? I'm a blacksmith apprentice. And... Saying you're going to apprentice but not be missional is like saying that you want to be a, a blacksmith apprentice but you don't want to touch any metal. It's like, what is the point? This is the whole thing you're doing is we hit metal off other metal and make metal things. And you're like, well, yeah, yeah, like I want to, like, I want to like, read books with this guy but like I don't want to love my neighbor. Like, I don't want to lead anyone to Jesus. It's like, what is the whole point? And, and so what I would say is like if you have a mentor and all they do is send you books and they don't know their neighbor, they don't have any non-Christian friends, they're not living among people who don't know Jesus, they're, not like, they're just missing the whole point of the gospel. Same with you. If, you. if you take an interior look at your life and you're like, I don't know anyone who isn't a Christian or I haven't had any conversations with them or I don't, like, I, I'm not living life with them, you're, you're like, what are you apprenticing? Right? Jesus would be like, hey, I'm going to spend 80% of my time with all these broken people. And you're like, that's cool. I'm just going to chill over here. Then you're not apprenticing Jesus. You're apprenticing 15% of him that you want. Apprenticeship is always being missional. And what, I, what I've communicated is being missional is not that you've got to go and you've got to just like be this, I can answer every question perfectly exactly how you want to hear it. It's just being ready. Paul tells Timothy this. He says, preach the message. Be ready whether it is convenient or not. He says be ready whether it's convenient or not. Two nights ago I was sitting in my backyard. I was ready to, uh, to just call it a day. We have been doing yard work for the last several days and it's just been exhausting. I've laid down a lot of pea gravel in my backyard and I was sitting on the fire and Sarah went in and it was like 9.30 or 10 and I was like, ready to just put water on the fire and I was about to leave and a neighbor, uh, neighbor's uh, friend comes in the backyard and he starts talking to me because our fence is only like this tall. And in that moment, I'm like, I'm going to pull the just like neighbor card. Like, okay, hey, I was like, oh, Okay, cool, cool, all right, see you later. You know, I was just going to do that. And then all of a sudden, we started talking, and, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right. Started talking about sailing, and then all of a sudden, we started talking about anxiety, and then we started talking about medication and counseling and therapy and being a man in the midst of all that and, and just dealing with panic attacks and why the heck are these happening, and I have all these other things in my life, and I, and I just am like, all right, Lord. Lord's like, here's a softball tray. Here you go. You don't even got to get out of your Adirondack chair. He just came right to you. And and before you know it, an hour later, you know, it's like, I didn't lead the guy to Christ, but it's like, I just was present. I was just there. I just, I had the conversation. I followed through with what the Spirit was giving me. It's not these incredibly profound things, okay? I didn't go sign up for this golf class and try to lead someone to Christ there. I just sat in my backyard, and I was faithful to the small prompts. And I think that is where it starts. You don't got to go out and be this juggernaut for Jesus. You just got to be present. And he says, look, when it, whether it's convenient or not, be ready, be ready to teach, be ready to rebuke, be ready to exhort with complete patience. And he says, be self-controlled, endure hardship, do an evangelist work, and fulfill your ministry. Do any of you even know what your ministry is? Have you thought about it? Does it keep you up at night? It's not probably what I do, but that's okay, and it's great. It should be different. You don't, we don't need a hundred of me. That's the last thing the world needs. Okay, but we do need you, and we need me, and we need you, and you, and you, and all of what you're doing. Number five, apprenticeship is slow and messy. I don't know how else to say this other than on a slowdown series, but it is slow and it is messy. Jesus sends out 12, he sends out 70, he sends them out, and, and it's like, you're, you're in it. Go be missional, and they come back, and they're exhausted, but they're like, this was amazing, and this happened, and this happened, and, but it's just messy. It's broken people helping broken people. It is messy. And I think about Jesus, he put three years of his life, and if I took three years of my life and I said, I'm going to build into these 12 people, and I'm going to spend all my time with them, we're going to walk everywhere, we're going to travel, we're going to drive in the 15-passenger van together, and I'm going to teach them everything I know about the kingdom. And then at the end of that three years, I have a really hard situation in my life, and all of them run away. I would feel like an utter failure. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus. These guys come with torches and pitchforks and Peter's like, gets out a sword and, you know, tries to chop a guy's, well, he does chop a guy's ear off, right? And you're like, Peter, come on, dude. My favorite part, that most people don't read, you gotta read all the accounts to know this, but John Mark, okay, the same John Mark who Paul does not want to hang out with, runs away and they grab his clothes and he runs away naked. This is what's happening to these 12 men who dedicate their lives to following Jesus and the moment it gets hard, and it's messy, and, and, and Peter's like, I'm going to fight my way out of this. And then John Mark's like, I'm out of here. And then it's like, there's your tunic. I don't care. I'm still gone, right? And he's running around in the dark at night naked. And Paul's like, I ain't bringing that guy with me. Paul had a higher bar than Barnabas, I guess. Because John Mark also ditched them in pamphlet. So that's two strikes. Baseball wasn't invented yet, but that's pretty close to the strikeout, right? But that, that, like, it's just messy, right? It's just messy. Paul's like, Nah, he's not for me. Barnabas is like, I, I believe in him. And John Mark does have redemption. Don't worry, you can read it later. And He does actually get his act together. But he had two bad, bad instances there. But it, it, it's just messy. It's hard. And it's, I mean, Jesus literally dies alone other than like John in the distance with a bunch of women, right, that are there. All his friends are gone, his disciples. And then he resurrects and he comes back to them. And Thomas is like, yeah, I still don't know, man. I mean, I would just be like, I'm done with you. You're done. Here I am. I'm alive. I resurrected. And Thomas is like, I don't know, man. And what does Jesus do? He says, you're, you're done. I'm done with you. My grace is, it's, I'm done. He says, no. He says, stick your finger in my stomach. He says, stick your finger through my hands. And he does. And Thomas is like, my Lord and my God. That is, discipleship It is messy, and you get frustrated, and it's one step forward, and it's 10 steps back, and you start to wonder, man, are they a waste, they a waste of my time? Man, should I move on to someone else? Man, this is so messy. Man, this is hurting me. Man, I'm having way more insecurity than I realize. I'm putting way more stock in my identity based on the success of this person and it just, it's just a mess. It's just like dirt getting in your house all over everything. But that is discipleship. And that happens after Jesus ascends in the book of Acts. Right away, they have this massive movement. People are sharing everything. They're, they're eating others, each other's houses. They're learning the Bible. They're following the apostles' teaching. And then these people lie about what they're giving to everyone. Right? And then later they start arguing about circumcision and what foods they should eat and if they should let Gentiles in their house. And then they start having these feasts every night and then all the rich people are getting there first and they're getting drunk before all the other people are there. And it's just, it's a mess. Are you, are you reading this? I mean, it is a mess. And it's a mess, but it's God's mess. And it's God knowing what is, what humans are like. And so apprenticeship, it's slow and it's messy. And I love how Paul, this is like the best passage I think Paul gives us about discipleship to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, he says, In fact, this is why we work hard and we struggle, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of believers. I don't know about you, but work hard and struggle is not something that sounds fun. Command and teach these things. Let, and this is where you've probably heard this passage. Let no one look down on you because you are young, but set an example in, for believers in your speech, your conduct, your love, your faithfulness, your purity. He's talking about working hard and struggling because of other people, setting our hope on the living God. And later, he says, do not neglect the spiritual gift that you have that has been given to you, that has been confirmed by encouragement and prophetic words. When elders laid hands on you, he says, take pains. With these things. Be absorbed in them so that everyone will see your progress and then be conscientious about your life, about how you live and what you teach. And you'll save yourself and others through this. That's what he says. Be conscientious of your life, your beliefs, right? And and I just I love the idea of taking pains, absorbing. If you take pains at night with people in your lives who you just are deeply wanting to see, come know and follow Jesus, an apprentice under him, an apprentice. Help others know Jesus. Do you you absorb yourself in that? And that's what discipleship is at the end of the day. It's just working hard and struggling with others. It's taking pains, absorbing ourselves, how we live and what we teach because of the hope of Jesus. And so the last one, number six, is that apprenticeship is God's plan for reaching the world. This is the play that he has run. His playbook is one play, and it is disciples making other disciples. That's the whole point. That's the gospel. That is Jesus making disciples who make disciples. And that is the whole point of apprenticeship. If we follow Jesus and we don't actively help make disciples in our own way that God has given us, we are not apprenticing Jesus. This church can grow by me, by the chairs, by the building, how cool it is, by the parking lot, by where the, like It can grow that way, but that's not how it's supposed to be. It's everybody goes out to where the God has put them and they just absorb themselves in others. I don't, I, let's just say other. Let's keep it simple. One person. Okay. Because if we look at the numbers here, if you were, let's say you're a really good evangelist, which many of you are like, I don't even know if you'd say you're a good evangelist, but let's say you're a good evangelist. and You're like, you know what, Every day I'm going to go out. I'm going to spend an hour uh, out from my work and I'm just going to share the gospel with people. And every day you win someone over. You're just really good. Good for you. And then we have a New Year's Eve party, right? At the end of the year. And then you get up and you say, guys, 365 people this year. We would be like, I don't know about you. I'd be pretty impressed. Would you, I'd be impressed. Do you know anyone that just won over 365 people last year? I don't. And so you say, wow, amazing. Good for you. I'm not an evangelist, but good for you, right? You are doing the Lord's work, right? And it sounds great, and it is great. And, and let's say you die at 47. I don't know. And you start at 31, you got your act together like Jesus in your 30s, and then you, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to minister And you die at 47, right? And you, you won 5,800 people. Like, imagine at your funeral, 5,800 people are there who are like, I heard the gospel from him, and I'm here to celebrate because I would have known Jesus without him. That's pretty cool. I don't think any of us will ever hit that. But what's even crazier is those are nothing compared to just taking two people in your life and saying, this entire year, I am going to do those things. I'm going to trust in the truth. I'm going to, we're going to live in the mundane. We're going to be missional. We're going to, I'm going to show them how to love my neighbors and how to love my coworkers and how to have intentional conversation. And I'm going to plow my life, and I'm going to absorb their pains and their suffering and their realities on myself. And I'm going to spend my, all my life with those two people. And then this is what you see, this compounding effect, where at the end of that New Year's Eve party, you get up and you say, I won 365 people. And the other person says, I, I got up and I, I, made, I won two people. We met every week, and then they helped me with my house, right? Many of you have have scraped linoleum off my kitchen floor. I remember Pearson tore down insulation that probably had asbestos in it, <laughs> and he'll be paying for that one in the long term. Uh, I've had people come mow my grass. Timmy helped me chainsaw a tree on Saturday. I've had. I, if you notice, our house was a wreck, and now it's great. Thank you. But it sounds like trades discipleship is just slave labor, but it's... <laughs> I've had people drive. I remember when I bought my Ridgeline, I had to drive to Indiana to get it. It was like four hours away because I was just, Craigslist search went way too far. And, and I drove four hours and someone drove my car. Like, it's these, these dumb things. They're just dumb. And I would do any of that for you. I own a truck for that reason. And I own a not nice truck for that reason because if you run into something, I don't care. Okay. But it's like, that is the start of just, here's my mundane life. I have a house, maybe you have an apartment, maybe you don't, or, or like maybe you have kids, maybe you don't, Like just what are the things you're going to do? And I'm going to do them, and I'm going to plow my life into you for, for a year, maybe even two years, forget this, right? Even at 15 years, if it takes me two years to make two disciples, and all of them take someone, and they plow their lives into two people, and 16 years, when that evangelist comes up and says, I've won 5,800 people over, you can come and say, I won Two people I plowed my life into, and they plowed their lives into other people, and now we're at 65,000 believers because I spent one year just deeply absorbed in two people's lives. Let's say that just even half of those fail, though. Like, let's be honest, right? You make two disciples, one of them just doesn't pan out. I don't know, they move somewhere and it just doesn't go well, right? Okay, half of that is 32,000. Let's see, only a quarter work out. Are you getting the math here? It's And, and, and like I said, this is quality over quantity, your job is just one or two. You die with one or two. Now what's even crazier about this is this is our design of core groups. Let's say we took a core group mentality, meaning I lead a core group. My goal in the next few years is to cause each of these people to be leaders to lead their own core groups. This is the type of numbers then you look at. You start with three, and then you have nine, and then they lead a core group, and then they lead a core group. And before you know it, 16 years, you have 43 million people following Jesus. That's just ridiculous. I don't even know what we would do. Well, we would do a lot of things before 43 million, but it's just ridiculous. But all it is is it's just you with one group. Just can you do that? Can you do that one group? And let's just say two of them fail the first year. And then you want, and then, oh, okay, wow, we only have made 4 million in 16 years. Bummer. Right? It's not even about the numbers. I, the numbers only show you that your goal is not to just be an evangelist and to preach the gospel. Your goal is to plow your life in other people. That's the point of following Jesus. He plowed his life into 3 and 12. Paul plowed his life into Barnabas and John, what kind of John and Mark? And Timothy and Silas. And that is the gospel multiplication that we're looking at. That is the point. And that's why we actually slow down. This is easier. And the reason why, as I invite Nick up to close, is. The reason why this is so easy is because all you got to do is two things. It's this simple. I promise you, I believe it in my bones because I have had Mark Jacoby. I have had Dr. Crispin. I have had Dr. Dave. I have had Ian Simkins. I have had my pastor growing up. I have had so many dozens of guys do this for me, and this is all they did. They named it, and they were intentional. They named it, and they were intentional. What I mean by naming it is we sat down. And I said, hey, either I, need, like, I, need, I want something from you. I, I think you're following Jesus and I want this. Can you teach me this? Can I walk in this way? Or they said, hey, I think you need this. Do you want it? And either way, one of us said yes. And then that was it. And then the, the rest of it was just being intentional. It's just making the call and saying, hey, uh, I'm going to go drive and pick up this couch. It's two hours away. You want to drive with me and just sit in the car and hang out and chat see how life's going? Right? Or, hey, like, I'm going to go speak at this conference. I would love for you to come with me and experience it. Or, hey, we're going to go on vacation. You want to go on vacation with us and we can, like, we can just live life? Like, it's not these crazy things. It's just being intentional. And what I love about it and why this is slowing down, you're like, how is this slowing down, Trey? You're telling me to do this massive thing that's going to change the world. That's going to be a lot of my life. Yes, but you're, not, you're doing everything anyways. Are you going to lay down pea gravel in your backyard? If you're going to do it, don't do it alone. Are you going to drive an hour to go pick up something? Don't do it alone. Are you going to read your Bible? Don't do it alone. Are you going to pray for someone to be healed of something that you really want to be healed? Don't do it alone. Are you going to fast like last week Paul mentioned? Don't do it alone. It's not like you're adding more to your plate. You're just naming and you're just being intentional. That's it. It's that simple. Jesus walked places like any other human would. He had to walk to Jerusalem four times a year for festivals. Let's just go and let's just do it and we'll just sit and we'll hang and we'll party and we'll talk. It's all it is. And this changes the world. So as we have a time of formation, as we think about like what does this mean for us, there's really just the two things, naming and, and being intentional and thinking through that. But I, I created yet again another form, if you want to fill it out. <laughs> On the QR code, you can, scan, you can scan it. And the first entry this week, is just, it's just apprenticeship. And all I want you to do with that, think about it and pray about it. And you can fill out that form if you would like to apprentice someone Or you would like to be someone who apprentices you. And what you're going to do is when you fill it out and you click the button, it's going to give you like nine to, I don't know, eight or nine things that you think that you can impart to someone or that you need. Meaning, man, I need wisdom. Man, I love to go through books with someone. Man, I love to just have deep accountability with my my addiction. Or man, I love to uh, find out what it means to be a good husband or a good father. Or man, I love to just receive... um, some wisdom about being missional, right? Like, you're not going to check all those boxes and the your person who might apprentice you is not going to check all those boxes, right? Like, it's just, but it's just, these are the things that I feel this deep sense of conviction towards. I want to take a step towards it. Can I put my name out there and we just try to sort of, I don't know, pair you up or find someone for that or, you know, and just help you in that. And maybe you're already getting at your cores or your community, great, I'm not like, you don't need to have to do this, but is there things in your life where you say, I need to finally lead others in this? I've been squandering the gifts that God has given me. Or have you just been afraid and maybe even like lazy or apathetic and you're like, I want someone to help me run with them and I want to have a pace that's sustainable and I need this. Fill out the form. And then we always have our normal time of formation, things up uh, giving or bringing as an act of worship. In the back, you can do that. The Lord's Supper is here as a reminder of the sacrifice. And then we have people in the back who would love to pray for you. So, You can take this time and process through that, and then we'll close in a song or two. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.